Matthew's Gospel and chapter 20. One of our habits, our practices, I suppose, uh, here at Christ Church is to try and preach through books of the Bible, uh, just passage by passage by passage, so that God sets the agenda. It's not me choosing what to speak on week by week, uh, but we let God's word set the pattern. We've been working through Matthew's Gospel, and this morning we're going to read verse 1 to 16 of Matthew 20. It's Jesus speaking children, he's teaching and telling a parable. So, verse 1 of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. We've been at one of those uh, joint meals, perhaps for a a birthday, uh, someone's retirement due at work, uh, an engagement party. Uh, we, We head to a restaurant that is just a bit more expensive than you'd really feel comfortable in. But you, you kind of go because, hey, it's a group do. You, you've got to be part of the group. And the, you know, the waitress comes around and says, uh, anyone having any starters? And, and you say, no, no. Okay, you're going to hold back a little bit. And the person next to you says, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, I'll have the prawns, thank you. And, and bring me a side, too. Uh, she, the waiter then takes drinks orders. and uh, Just a tap water for me, please. Uh, and your friend says, I'll have a, a glass of red wine. Large. Thanks. Uh, on it goes. Uh, you have the salad. She has the lobster. Uh, you hold back on pudding. She has the profiteroles with a, a side of cheesecake. A little aperitif afterwards. And of course, then the bill comes round. And you know what's going to happen. Someone is going to say, let's just split it between the five of us, shall we? And you're not happy, are you? Okay, I reckon most of us have been in that scenario. Okay, unless you're the kind of person who you know, does the overordering and then charging it to the others. What are you thinking? 
you're thinking, it is not fair. I've eaten my way through one mangy little salad while you ate lobster and steak and drank wine, and I'm now paying 50 quid when I should have been paying a tenner. It is not fair. Children, I want, to, I want you to imagine, children, you go to the park with Granny and Grandpa. Okay, off you go to the park with Granny and Grandpa, and you get to the ice cream van. Okay, and Granny gives you an ice cream. Okay, a lovely ice cream. And then she gives your brother an ice cream. And she gives him a chocolate bar as well. How do you feel? See, I think you probably feel a bit grumpy, don't you? You think that's not fair. When Granny just gave you an ice cream, you might have been happy. But as soon as you saw your brother got an ice cream and a Mars bar, well, it's not fair. Now, they might sound silly little examples. But, but actually, they, they tap in, I think, they, they tap in to something that we, well, we all walk with. If we're honest, a lot of the time in life, we look around and think, it is not fair. Life is not fair. I am not being treated as I deserve. Uh, for some of us, that bubbles up in anger. Someone gets promoted at work and we're left behind and we are angry about it. For others, it's kind of resentment. Okay, we're, too, we're too polite to ever get angry outwardly, but inwardly we, we burn. Uh, for others, it turns into kind of self-pity. Oh, I'm so pleased that Sandra's got engaged all the time, just absolutely gutted uh, that we're not. And again, small as some of those examples may seem, that they tap into something that Jesus is getting at in this parable. It's a sort of infection, if you like, uh, that afflicts us all. In one sense, it's a pretty straightforward parable. It's a surprising parable, but a fairly straightforward one. Uh, it's a world of day labour. Okay, so back in Jesus' day, uh, for many people, they work day to day, okay, not on a contract, not on a kind of long-term job, but you go out to the marketplace in the morning and hope a rich landowner will take you on. Uh, so early in the morning, at the start of the day, presumably six o'clock, the Jewish day started at six and went through to, to six at night. Uh, at six o'clock, down the master goes uh, to hire some men and he, he takes them on. And you see, he, he agrees with them what they're going to get paid, verse two. He agreed with the labourers for a denarius a day. A denarius is a good wage for, for a day. Okay, perfectly reasonable, probably pretty generous. And they're, they're totally happy. Okay, I mean, for the sake of argument, let's say 100 quid a day. 100 quid they get given. But in the third hour, verse 3, so three hours later, uh, he goes back. But now it'll be nine o'clock. And he takes some more labourers on. And you see, this time, he doesn't tell them what he's going to pay them. He just sees them idle in the marketplace, verse 4. And he simply says, right, you go and work, and I'll pay you whatever's right. And again, they're happy. Off they go. Three hours later, the sixth hour, so we're midday now, verse 5. He goes back, does the same thing. And then the ninth hour, so it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he goes back again and again. Doesn't tell them what they're going to get paid, just sends them off to work. And amazingly, he even goes back again. Do you see verse 6? The 11th hour. Okay, so it's now 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The day's going to finish at 6. At 5 o'clock, he goes down to the marketplace and says to these guys, why are you not working? 
And they say, again, verse 7, oh, no one's hired us. And so even at that 11th hour, that's what we get the expression from, even at the 11th hour, he brings them in and sends them to work in the vineyard. Well, so far, so good, until it comes to payday or pay hour. At six o'clock, work ends, and he gets his foreman to line all the workers up. And instead of starting with the guys who, who, who began at 6 a.m., he starts by paying the guys who started at, well, probably half five by the time they got back from the marketplace. And he gives them, well, what does he give them? He gives them a denarius. He gives them 100 pounds, half an hour's work maybe. And here's 100 quid. And the foreman works down the line. And you can imagine what the guys who started at 6 a.m. are thinking, can't you? And what would you be thinking? Okay, you were promised £100 if you started work at 6 o'clock in the morning. You've done 12 hours work. You've just seen the guy who's done half an hour get £100. If you're doing your maths, you're thinking, I'm about to get 1,200 quid. Okay, this is going to be amazing. Unless you've been paying attention. Because actually, as the man walks down the line, everybody gets the one denarius. Everybody gets £100. And when it gets to the guys who've worked all day in the scorching heat, what do they get? Well, the same. Uh, one denarius, £100. And they are not happy. What on earth is going on? What a strange story. The story is meant to be about what the kingdom of heaven is like, verse 1. This is what life is like under God's rule. If you want, if you want to have God as your king, th- this is what it's going to be like, says Jesus. So, so what's he telling us? Well, he's telling us, I think, two realities and then two ways to look at the world. Two realities and two ways to look at the world. Uh, the two realities are, are to do with us and God. Let's start with God. The first thing Jesus is telling us is, is the reality is God is generous. Okay, God is incredibly generous. What sort of landlord, what sort of boss pays a whole day's salary for someone doing half an hour's work? Well, only one who is generous. He even describes himself that way in verse 15. Do you begrudge my generosity? Who are these folk? Who are these folk who who turn up at the 11th hour, these ones who are still in the marketplace, right at the end of the day? People have had all sorts of guesses down the years. Quite likely, I think, because Jesus is teaching a Jewish audience, He's teaching them about the coming in of the Gentiles, so the non-Jewish people. God's people all the way through the Old Testament had been predominantly Israelites, Jews. And the whole kingdom was about to be opened up to Gentiles too. And they were the, well, the newcomers, the late arrivals. So very likely Jesus is preparing his disciples that the kingdom is going to go international. But really, I think you can go beyond that. Really, what we're being shown is that God is generous and willing to welcome anyone into his kingdom, however late they come. Perhaps for you, it's late in life. Uh, You've always slightly looked down on on Christians. You've never bothered with it. It's always seemed a bit silly. 
But actually, you know death is approaching. You're not as young as you once were. Whether it's a diagnosis or just the ticking clock of time. And you've wondered to yourself, well, maybe it's too late. But it's never too late. Even this morning, Jesus says to you, look, you can come. You can come and I will receive you. I am generous. Because you don't need to bring anything. These laborers don't bring anything, do they? They just come and then they receive. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will have you. Even if it is the 11th hour. The gospel message, the good news of Christianity, is not a message about something we do, but about something God has done for us in sending Jesus into the world to, to die. God opened up the gates of eternal life so that it can be given freely. Our sin on Jesus' shoulders. Let's see how these people are described, verse 6. They're those who stand around idle all day. Perhaps it's not so much that you're towards the end of your life, but you're just somebody who thinks, well, God wouldn't have me. I've never shown any interest. I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know any of these stories you're talking about. What is a Jew? What an Israelite? I don't understand. I don't have religious language. I've hardly been to church in my life. I don't know how to pray. I don't know anything. That's okay. God says, come. Jesus has done it all. Come to me. Come to me freely. And I will have you. I will forgive you. It doesn't matter what kind of life you've led. The gift of eternal life is free. It's a gift of grace, to use the Bible's language. God will take anyone who will come to him. That is his character. He is generous. You don't need to bring anything. Perhaps even you've been a Christian for a while and you've begun to think that God is, well, God is backing away from you or displeased with you. You feel like you're not really bringing anything to the table. Well, relax. The good news is you don't need to. It is grace that welcomes us in and grace that keeps us in. God is generous. Do you think of God in that way? As someone who wants to give eternal life, who wants to give the kingdom to as many people as possible. He's not stingy like a kind of Scrooge, trying to hold it back until only the best can get in. It's not a kind of spiritual Alan Sugar where you have to fight your way to the top. And only if you are, you know, the best will you hear that news, you're hired. Everyone else fired. No, come, he says. Play the Merchant of Venice. Um, I don't normally do illustrations from Shakespeare, but I just happened to cross this one. There's a character called Portia, and she's trying to persuade someone to be to be kind and merciful. And she says the quality of mercy is not strained. The quality of mercy is not strained. You kind of do your coffee in the morning and you, you pour it through the filter and all the kind of gunk gets pulled behind and just the pure stuff gets through. Mercy is not like that, Portia says. It rains down from heaven. God isn't stingy with his grace. It doesn't matter what you've done, whether 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago, he will always have you. God is incredibly generous. So that's the first reality, God's generosity. The second reality is our grumbling. How do these people respond? Verse 11. On receiving the denarius, these are the people who've worked all day. They grumble at the master of the house. Why? Well, we've been treated unfairly, they say. We slaved away all day. 
We did the hard work. We were out in the boiling sun. We're the one who brought in the most grapes. And yet you just pay us the same as these guys who arrived late. We're the true workers, they say. Now notice that that God does describe those who come to him as labourers, workers. When you become part of the kingdom of God, we are employed in a sense to to work for him. The Christian life does involve effort. We work for him. We try and proclaim the gospel to the nations. We we serve him. Uh, Yesterday, because I was worried I was going to forget, uh, I brought, uh, I gave um, a book to Becky for Caleb. Um, you know, he's been baptised, his little book, kind of explaining the gospel book. We could, instead of giving him a book or a little Bible, we could have given him a hammer okay, or a trowel. Okay, welcome to the vineyard, you're going to be a labourer. Could have sent him home with a hammer, that would have been a, a good picture too. But how do we view our service for God? Very often we grumble, don't we? That we think we are treated unfairly. Uh, these guys probably have worked hard. They've done 12 hours. It's a hot climate. It probably was hard work. And yet, have they got any right to grumble? After all, they're getting what they were promised. They agreed at the beginning of the day. Yeah, this is fine. One denarius is a fair wage. They agreed. They've not been robbed. They're getting exactly what they promised. God always gives what he promises. So what makes them cross? What makes them cross is seeing someone else, in their view, receiving even greater generosity. It's envy. I imagine if Jesus told the parable the other way around, uh, and at the end of the day, uh, the, the former began, began by paying the people who started work first. So he came to them and he said, thank you for your 12 hours labour. Here's the denarius that I promised you. How would the parable end? Well, if they get paid first, it would end with them saying, thank you very much, going home, perfectly happy. Back to the wife and kids, good news, I was employed for the day, here's the denarius, we can eat again. Okay, kids, shoes, we're all fine. They'd be perfectly happy. But it's because the payment goes the other way around, because they see that in their view, God or the the, the landowner is being more generous to someone else, they become bitter and grumbly. It's the comparison that gets us. I deserve better than this, God, is is a theme tune to so much of our hearts. I deserve more than you're giving me. More wealth, more happiness, whatever it might be. And they, God, they deserve less. Have you not seen how much I've done for you? How faithful a Christian I've been? How holy I've stayed? How hard I've worked for you? And yet they seem, they, who only became a Christian last week, they, who frankly are not a very good Christian, they seem to be blessed. Their career is going well. They're married happily. They're wealthy. Their house is lovely. It is not fair. We are chronic grumblers. And and the sting comes in verse 15. I think this is the the key, really, to the whole parable. The the issue is is not about how God acts, but how we look at things. If if you've got one of the church Bibles, uh, and look at verse 15, it'll say this. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? 
And there's a little footnote, little number four, and it gives you the really literal translation. So very literally, you translate, instead of saying, um, can I not do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? That second sentence, you could translate, is your eye bad? Because I am good. Is your eye evil? Because I am good. What's the problem? The problem actually isn't with God and his behaviour. It's with our eye. Jesus says, is your eye evil towards me? There are two ways to look at the world. Two ways to see the world. Either with evil eyes or or with gracious glasses. Evil eyes or gracious glasses. We always think we deserve more. And we tell ourselves it's just because we want things to be fair. I'm just committed to fairness. That same Shakespeare play, there's a uh, the Merchant of Venice, there's, a, there's a, a, um, various people trying to woo this wealthy young woman. And her dad knows they're all scoundrels, so he sets a kind of test for them. And he puts out three caskets, three pots. One's gold, one's silver, and one's lead. Okay, and if, if you read stories, you know you've got to go for the lead one, don't you? Okay, it's never the gold or the silver. But anyway, they're all idiots. Uh, and they go for the gold and then the silver. And the silver one says on it, um, whoever chooses this casket shall get as much as he deserves. And the Prince of Aragon thinks, well, I deserve... Plenty. So I'll choose the silver casket. That must be the right option. We're all like him, aren't we? Deep down, we think we deserve better than we've got. Perhaps we look at our circumstances. It's not fair that I didn't get the promotion. It's not fair that I am single. It's not fair that I don't live in as nice a house as he does. Or we look at our service, we're Christians. We look around and say, look... I work so hard at church. It's always me doing coffee. It's always me putting the chairs out. It's always me on the rotors. It's always me that turns up the prayer meeting. And, and they don't. It's not our circumstances or our service. It's, it's a community. I've been at church longer than them. Why are they on the inside so quickly? They're newcomers. They need to do their time before they can come in. I mean, it's great they've joined our church. Uh, it'd be great if they start giving, but don't start getting in my friendship group. Don't start interrupting my community group. I do wonder, actually, as a church, we're, we're quite a new church. We're four years old. Um, so about half our church life has been COVID, therefore. Uh, and God has been kind. We've slowly grown. Even over COVID, we've, we've sort of slowly grown and grown and grown. And, and we need to be aware that, whereas we started as about 18 of us or something, that's now, whatever, three, four times as much. We need to be aware, particularly those of us who've been here since the beginning, that everything constantly needs to change and grow. We need to welcome everybody in, not have originals and newcomers. And the sign that we've got this evil eye, well, the sign is grumbling. And and the, the, the key thing is that ultimately it's an evil eye towards God. It's not just a little bit of grumbling, a little bit of bitterness. It is actually an evil eye towards God. We look at God and see him as evil. And that's clear in verse 15. Um, do you, uh, is your eye bad because I am good? Jesus says it explicitly. And it just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if we're the kind of people who grumble and complain, what's going on? We're basically saying, look, in a fair world... In a world that was run properly, I would be in a better position than this. 
wealthier, happier, richer, healthier, whatever it might be. In a fair and just world, if only someone, if only someone good was running this world, competent. In other words, if I was running the world, not you, God, things would be a lot more just, a lot more fair. Now, I know we never say that. Of course we don't. But it's the outworking of how we think. Uh, even little things give, give this away. So um, earlier early this week, uh, I had a day off, and I, I, I was, the plan was that, that my wife and I were going to go for coffee. Okay, um, someone very kindly agreed to take all our kids, which is a mammoth thing. Uh, and we were going to go for coffee, just for a little bit, go for coffee, and I was going to get a read a book. Okay, not a Christian book, just a, just a story about this guy sailing in the Baltic Seas. Okay, but brilliant, some time on my own. It's going to be great, much as I love my kids. <laughs> and then various things happened. A friend phoned from, um, from Australia, so I thought, oh, i better answer it, because, um, you know, he's in Australia, he's just moved out there. And that pushed the time scale back, and then we had to go get some... Uh, you know, something from a supermarket, and it all got knocked around, knocked around, and eventually just totally ran out of time. Okay, couldn't do it. What am I thinking? What am I thinking is, I only get one day off a week. Some people get two. I only get one. I wasn't trying to take the whole day for myself. Just wanted to go and have a coffee and read a little book. Did, did I get angry and shout at people? No. Because I know to tidy that up. But what happened was not outer anger. What do you think you're doing, God? Nor was it shouting at my friend in Australia or, you know, the person in the supermarket who shut the wrong bit and all the rest of it. Because I'm a minister, so I shouldn't be caught being angry. What happens is, just going to self-pity. It's so unfair. Just wanted a coffee and read a book. Just for an hour. It's internalised anger against God. It's the same thing. It's saying to God, no, you have got this wrong. It's having an evil eye at God. So I can pretend it's just a little sin. I was just a little bit of grumbling, a little bit of self-pity. But actually, if I could really see it properly, it is an assault on God. You have run this world wrongly, God. You should stop my friend calling me at that time in the morning. You should sort the supermarkets out so they've got chickens in the right aisle at the right time. These little things wind us up, don't they? Perhaps it's the children. Okay, you, you just get so annoyed with the kids because they're disturbing your peace. And again, we tell ourselves it's reasonable. We're just being fair and just. But actually, it's just that we're being disturbed. You can either look with this evil eye at God or you can put on glasses of grace, gracious glasses, if you like. I normally wear, well, I wear contact lenses or glasses. I should have put my glasses on this morning. It would have been a better illustration. But, but, but glasses shape how you see the world. Sometimes you get you know, these cool sunglasses. Don't you? you can put on kind of yellow sunglasses and everything looks yellow or red and everything looks red. This par- parable is teaching us to put on glasses that see the world through the eyes of grace. Everything is a gift, Jesus is saying to us. Everything. You don't deserve anything. So everything you have is a gift. And when you see everything as a gift, then actually you can't grumble or, or be bitter anymore. You won't even want to. These people who got paid, you know, for for a day's work, they should have just been grateful. That's fantastic. I'm not unemployed. I'm not starving. I can put a roof over my head. I can feed and clothe the kids. And they would have been had they not seen that someone else seemingly got a better deal. The, The wonder, in other words, it should never be for us that we don't have more, but rather that we do have anything. 
It's a totally different way to see the world. Uh, a week or so ago, I was off doing some teaching elsewhere, some, some trainee ministers and youth workers and things, and we would look at the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus, you might know, is this strange Old Testament book that has all sorts of strange, to our mind, rules. Um, and one of the rules there is if you get leprosy, you can't come into the, the tabernacle. Okay, so if you had a, a skin disease, you weren't able to come into the kind of, essentially, church of the Old Testament. And someone asked the question, well, that's just so unfair. Why would God do that? Okay, these lepers had to live outside the camp. They weren't allowed to stay with their families. They had to go and live on their own. Uh, they had to keep their hair sort of unkempt. They had to wear a kind of face covering. They had to tear their clothes. They couldn't draw near other people. It's so unfair. Why would God do that? And various people you know, put forward various different answers about it's sort of health and safety. You know, if they come near, they're going to affect other people. So it's just kind of necessity. And that may be kind of true. But ultimately, as the sort of discussion went on, I think we came to a conclusion that actually we were looking at it the wrong way around. So you see, we, th- we think it was unfair for this person who had this skin disease to be kept away from the tabernacle. What's the sort of hidden assumption? The hidden assumption is that we should all be allowed into God's presence. But actually, when you look at it the other way around, what's amazing is not that these people with skin diseases were kept out, but that anyone was allowed in. We assume, we assume that we're good people who have the right to come to God, that he ought to bless us if he's going to be fair. But actually, we're not. Our sin is enough. Our sin is enough that God should throw us away eternally. Time and again, Jesus warns about hell, about eternal punishment. That is what you get if you want fairness, Jesus says. If you want justice, it's hell. But thank God he doesn't treat us with fairness in that sense. That means we can never complain against God. He may actually bless your friend more than you. He may bless your lazy, good-for-nothing friend more than you. He may bless your unholy, uncommitted, half-hearted Christian friend more than you. And that will not be unfair. It'll be gracious. He's not obliged to treat everyone in exactly the same way. He will never be unjust. If someone lives a perfect life, God will treat them as if they lived a perfect life. But none of us do. 